0: Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to Branching Out, an upbeat, friend-building, Christian-uniting ministry. We discuss current issues in our Christian faith, chat about our lives. We do a devotional and offer prayers and praise that you share with us. Never be alone. Join us. You can reach us at our website, which is branchliving.com. We have an active Facebook group, at Branch Living, and we have an international community there, and it would be a privilege to have you join us. There you can comment, post photos, prayer requests, praise reports. So please join us on Facebook at Branch Living, and sometimes it helps when you search to put that in as one word. You can also email me your prayer requests and praise reports at lisa at branchliving.com. We've tried to podcast two to three times each week, And Here we talk about our day, we share a prayer request to open our time together, and the heart of our podcast is our Branch Living message. We chat about issues in our lives, and then we move on to Christian news, views, and events, interesting happenings happening today in Christian families. We have a brief devotion written by one of our Christian greats, and we end with your comments, prayers, and praise. So let's get started today, and uh, thank you for joining us, thank you for coming along and we're going to get centered in the presence of God and ask God to bless this time um, that we have together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time set apart to think about you and worship you and learn about you and to just be here for each other as part of our Christian family. During this time, especially during this pandemic, Uh, There's a lot of loneliness, a lot of disconnect in people's worlds, and so this is an opportunity for us to get together and worship you and praise you and just chat among friends and uh, have some fellowship time together. So we thank you for this, Father, and we praise your holy name. Amen. So our branch living comes back to be again, um, which is bonding with God, and I think there's really almost no better way to bond with God than to develop those rituals in our lives that promote bonding with God. Um, And so we're going to talk about one of those rituals today, um, and it surrounds Christmas. So Christmas is a magical season. Christmas trees and bright lights, garlands and wreaths, in the midst of a dark and cold time, particularly here in the Northern Hemisphere, this season brightens our lives. There is a sense of magic, there is a feeling of hope, even for the staunchest non-believers. The build-up to that day is part of the magic. The ritual of putting up our tree, of hanging stockings, those rituals make the day itself even more special. So to those who are not Christians, it's a build-up to a day of gifts and family, friends and good food. To Christians, Christmas is so much more than that, right? I'm sure each of you listening feels that way. It's just so much more than that. It's infinitely more. It is the birth of our Savior. It is the dawning of love and light that comes into our world and to our li- and lives in our hearts. It is God with us. It is Emmanuel. So how do we prepare for this celebration? We do it through Advent. Advent is the season leading up to Christmas, so just as we shop and we listen to carols and we put up our tree to celebrate the coming of Christmas, we celebrate Advent as a time of preparation, preparing our hearts and our minds for the true Christmas, the celebration of Jesus' birth. Advent begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, and that's why it's not it doesn't come on the same day every year. I believe John Piper really said it best. He said, for four weeks, it's as if we're reenacting, remembering thousands of years ago when God's people were anticipating and longing for the coming of God's salvation. Longing for Jesus. And that is what Advent means. It means coming. The Jews in those days did not know when the Messiah was to come. They were waiting. They were hoping. And so in these weeks before Christmas, we enter that spirit. We are waiting, we are hoping, we are anticipating. And one way that we can do this is through the ritual of lighting candles on the Advent wreath. The wreath holds four candles. Some wreaths incorporate a fifth candle for the Christ child. The wreath itself symbolizes the world, continuous life, or unity. So the wreath holds those four candles, and there are usually three purple candles and one pink candle. Purple symbolizes repentance, and pink symbolizes rejoicing and love. So themes are tied to each candle, and I have to tell you that this varies in some churches. Some churches uh, have different themes, but pretty much they follow this the same theme. The first purple candle is the prophecy candle and it symbolizes hope and God's forgiveness to man. The second candle is, the, is a purple candle too, and it symbolizes faith, and it reminds us of the experience that Joseph and Mary had in Bethlehem. The third candle is the pink candle, and it represents love and joy that the birth of Jesus brought into the world. And then the final purple candle is the angel's candle, and it symbolizes the peace and justice that Christ brought into the world which the angels proclaimed. So if you have a fifth candle as part of your advent wreath, that candle is the Christ candle and you light it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and it symbolizes the light that Christ brought into the world. So in my household we are having remote church services we haven't been back to uh, church services because of the pandemic and so we watch our church on television and we participate in that way we and as I've said before we also do a zoom Bible study with our friends and with others um, but it, we also then because we're having church at home we decided this year to incorporate Advent into our home and um, so we have a wreath that my mother-in-law made um, at a ceramic class, and it holds the four candles. We don't have the fifth candle. And it's kind of an unusual uh, wreath. It's, like I said, ceramic, so it looks like green leaves. But then in the middle of the wreath sits the Holy Family. So uh, Jesus and Mary and, um, and Joseph are right in the middle. So that's our, our uh, Advent wreath at our house. So what we do on Sundays is we sing a hymn, and then we read scripture, and then we light the candle. And um, my husband is a retired minister, and so he then uh, gives a message surrounding the theme for that candle. So in most years, as I said, we would celebrate the lighting of the candles right in church. Uh, But we don't want this pandemic to steal this meaningful part of the season from us. And so we've brought this service into our home. And I would just encourage you, if you are uh, doing church out of your home, if you're doing the Zoom meetings with your church, this is a really nice ritual to bring into your house. And you really don't even have to have a wreath. and you, It doesn't really necessarily matter what color the candles are. They do sell boxes of those Advent candles, the three purple and the one pink, but you can just set up your own kind of ring of candles and, and do the service yourself and bring that back into your home. You know, we just, the pandemic has taken so much in our lives. Uh, We certainly don't want the pandemic in any way to steal the wonder, beauty, and just the holiness of Advent. So in this very busy season, it's really important to take time to enter the true spirit of Christmas. And the gratitude for God's love and sacrifice, the gratitude that this light, Jesus, came into the world and no darkness can put that light out. Um, and the light now that is within us. So celebrate the season and use Advent as a time to reconnect to God and to your faith. And then look toward Christmas with anticipation and hope, love, and gratitude. And with that, you will truly have the merriest of Christmas. So we're gonna, um, after that, we're going to kind of look at what's happening in the world today, because I like to talk about Christian news and uh, sometimes there's some interesting news or some fun news and today the news story that I want to bring to you comes out of the Jerusalem Post and I just found this really uh, interesting that there is a Professor Ken Dark of the University of Reading in England and Professor Dark has spent more than a decade studying the first century ruins that are underneath a modern day convent um, and this thought was suggested now that it is the first home of Jesus and his family. Uh, They first started to believe that in the 19th century uh, when archaeologists found this site in the 1930s, but many people didn't find this idea to be credible. But now um, Professor Dark was intrigued and he launched a project to explore the site about 14 years ago. And as he said, I didn't go to Nazareth to find the house of Jesus. I was actually doing a study of the city's history of a Byzantine Christian pilgrimage center um, and nobody could have been more surprised than me. So according to Professor Dark, the ancient ancient dwelling was under the Byzantine-era church, which itself is beneath the Sisters of Nazareth convent. So he said to the Jerusalem Post that he didn't excavate at the Sister of Nazareth site. Um, He did a new survey of the site and a study of the archives and objects from decades of previous excavations. He said, I haven't said that this was certainly the house of Jesus, just as it was probably a structure believed by Christians in the 4th century to be that house. Um, There's no archaeological reason why the identification is not true. So he's not saying it's definitely true, but... He um, doesn't poo-poo the idea that this really could be Jesus's childhood home. And because Christians as early as the fourth century believed that, um, there's some credibility in that. He told the BBC that his work revealed that the building was carved out of the rocks of a hillside, so not typical of what we normally think of when we think of Jesus's home. And the original house was built by someone who was a master at stoneworking. Jesus was called a, tek- Joseph, I'm sorry, was called a tecton in the Bible, which was an ancient word for craftsman or carpenter. And it would have made sense then that he could have carved stone. So, um, In order to determine the accurate date of these buildings, it would be necessary to carry out some new scientific excavation. What they tend to like to look for is to see if there's any pottery or anything that they can date back to that era. So, speaking to CBS News, Professor Dark said he understood that while there is much evidence to support his theory, it's by no means a conclusive case. On one hand, we can put forward a totally plausible case that this really was Jesus's childhood home. On the other hand, actually proving it is beyond the scope of evidence. So if you wanna see a picture of it, just Google uh, Doctor—I mean, uh, Professor Dark's uh, Jesus's home, and you can see the, it kinda of looks like a cave in the side of a hill, which was, is kinda of fun. Uh, lastly, I thought it would be nice, because we are celebrating Advent, to talk a little bit about traditions from around the world uh, pertaining to the Advent and Christmas season. So talking about China, how do people in China celebrate Advent and, Christ- and Christmas? The Christians in China light their homes with beautiful paper lanterns during Advent. Santa is called Dunche Lao Ren and the children are encouraged to hang their stockings like their counterparts in the United States. Many of the traditions celebrated among Christian communities in China were imported by the missionaries that delivered the message of Advent. So not terribly different than the way uh, we celebrate Christmas here in the United States. And then we'll do one more tonight. We'll do the uh, Belgian celebration. The children in Belgium are always excited by the approaching Christmas season, and they celebrate the primary gift-giving early. December 6th, St. Nicholas riding a horse and carrying great bags of gifts somehow makes the entire journey in one evening. And after gift-giving and celebration, The theme of Christmas switches to the holy celebration of the Christ child. So, um, interesting that so many of our traditions are similar, and yet every country has a little bit different spin on it, with um, this one celebrating as early, Belgium celebrating as early as uh, December 6th, and then uh, moving on to the celebration of the birth of the Christ child. I'm going to move now to our devotion, and we do a devotion from uh, Charles Spurgeon. And tonight, as I'm reading it at night, you may be listening to this during the daytime. Our Spurgeon reading comes to us from Romans 8:23. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So this comes from Romans. This groaning is universal among the saints. To a greater or less extent, we all feel it. It is not the groan of murmuring or complaint. It is rather the note of desire than than distress. Having received an earnest, we desire the whole of our portion. We are sighing that our entire manhood in its trinity of spirit, soul, and body may be set free from the last vestige of the fall. We long to put off corruption, weakness, dishonor, and to wrap ourselves in incorruption, in immortality, in glory, and in the spiritual body which the Lord Jesus will bestow upon his people. We long for the manifestation of our adoption as children of God. We groan, but it is within ourselves. It is not the hypocrite's groan, by which he would make men believe that he is a saint because he is wretched. Our sighs are sacred things, too hallowed for us to tell abroad. We keep our longings to our Lord alone. Then the Apostle says, We are waiting, by which we learn that we are not to be petulant like Jonah or Elijah when they said, Let me die. Nor are we to whimper and sigh for the end of life because we are tired of work nor wish to escape from our present sufferings till the will of the Lord is done. We are to groan for glorification, but we are to wait patiently for it, knowing that what the Lord appoints is best. Waiting implies being ready. We are to stand at the door expecting the Beloved to open it and to take us away to Himself. This groaning is a test you may judge of a man what he groans after. Some men groan after wealth, they worship money, some groan continually under the troubles of life, and they are merely impatient. But the man who sighs after God, who is uneasy till he is made like Christ, that is a blessed man. May God help us to groan for the coming of the Lord and the resurrection which he will bring to us. And that is such a beautiful thought. You know, it kind of reminds me of the scripture passage that says, you know, when you're fasting, don't go around with a long face, but don't let the world know that the fasting is even taking place. But, you know, let the world think that things are normal in your life and let God know that you're fasting. And this uh, description that Spurgeon gives of groaning really falls very much in line with that, that. Our groaning should be just kind of a, that inward, oh, it would be so nice to be with Jesus. It would be so nice to um, have my heavenly body. Um, but not to groan as though we are put off or to groan um, that we are troubled. But uh, waiting implies being ready. We are to stand at the door expecting the Beloved to open it and take us away to Himself. And I love the part too where he talks about The man who sighs after God, who is uneasy till he is made like Christ, that is a blessed man. And so may God bless each of us to have that kind of longing uh, for Jesus and to be very patient in waiting for him to come and take us home. And uh, praise to Spurgeon for that great message. So I want to conclude tonight with uh, prayers and praise reports that I've received. The two two prayer requests I've received uh, since we last talked both concern uh, tiny babies. One um, is a six month old child who just yesterday underwent heart surgery. And so we wanna hold her up in prayer that God will bring her complete healing and that God will bring peace to her family, uh, particularly her parents. She has a several week stay in the children's hospital now, is by all appearances doing quite well, but we wanna hold her up and hold her family up. The other child is a child that was born very, very early at just 28 weeks gestation. And so this tiny, tiny little one is under two pounds. And um, so we need to pray this baby is in the NICU. um, And so we just need to pray that God will allow this baby to grow and to thrive and to uh, do quite well. So I was talking to a friend of mine um, over the week and was describing the fact that this young woman was going to have to have this baby uh, very, very early. And you know, she gave me hope, and that's where it's good that we can talk about these things. She said, you know, my grandson, was born at 28 weeks and he is doing quite quite well so uh, we live in wonderful times miraculous times and God creates miracles through those doctors and through medicine so um, please do if you have prayer requests or praise requests uh, just let me know you can email me at Lisa at branchliving.com or you can go on Facebook and post them there so if you would join me in prayer Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we have had together and we thank you for fellowship. We thank you for the privilege of being able to approach you directly with prayer and we count it a blessing that we can pray for each other. We ask you to bless these two very tiny children, these babies, uh, the six-month-old who is now recovering from heart surgery and this Precious, very, very small newborn, and may your healing hand um, and your light and your love surround these children and bring them to complete health. Please be with their parents. We uh, know how nerve-wracking that has to be, how frightening that has to be to have a child of that age, any child, but particularly a child of that age. Uh, in the hospital and so we ask you to give them peace of mind and to feel your presence as well. We thank you and we praise you for being a God of healing in your precious name, Amen. So it is a privilege to be with you and just as a reminder, I want to remind you that we do have a Bible study. It meets on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central Time, American Time. And uh, it goes for about an hour. We do it by Zoom. Uh, we meet together. And again, you can just decide, let me see what this is like and drop in with us for one week. Or you can drop in occasionally. Um, and you, or you can come and stay with us. That would be great. So we uh, just actively discuss the scripture passages. You don't have to read them in advance. Some of our members have a commentary there with them. Uh, some of them don't, and we just talk through the ideas. And then we always open with prayer and close with prayer. So if you would like to uh, join us, all you have to do is email me at lisa at And uh, again, remember our Facebook page. Remember that you can always phone in your prayer and praise requests. And uh, we count it a joy to be with you. So with that, um, my friends, uh, stay close to God, stay in touch and I will chat with you again soon.